Hi, morning. It's good to be back. Um, I think the last time that I was here in Bishan was in uh, the first half of this year when we were still doing on the, this, the earlier part of the, the series on Exodus. So it's nice to be back uh, and to uh, share with us the Lord's Word for us this morning. Uh, let me pray for us as we start here. Heavenly Father, we come before you and as we have uh, sung in the words of the song uh, that indeed you may show us Christ, uh, open up our hearts to receive your word and may the words that come out of my lips uh, bring praise to your name. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as some of you know, since uh, January 2017, um, I've been seconded to Trinity Theological College to be part of the faculty and to serve as a lecturer there. Uh, it's been very, very fast, but it's coming to five years now. Uh, and I'm always so thankful to the leadership of uh, ARPC uh, for their support. A new role that I've come to take upon at uh, TTC uh, for the past two years is that of what they call the Dean of Students. So as the Dean of Students, um, that's basically to look into student affairs and to be the bridge between the student community as well as the administration. Yep. So as the Dean of Students in May 2020, I had the privilege of addressing the graduating cohort at the first ever online TTC graduation retreat. Um, 2020, that was the first year of COVID-19. So there was no way that we could hold a physical graduation retreat, so it had to be online. And with these graduating students who were very soon to return to their churches to serve as pastors, to serve as church workers, I shared with them what I thought was needed and is still needed in our Christian ministry and service today. And what's that that is needed? Compassion. I urge the graduating students to always allow themselves to be filled with compassion for those that they were serving and ministering to in whichever ministry that the Lord was calling them to. That together, the church will indeed be a place filled with compassion. And we are to have compassion because that was what our Lord had as he ministered to the crowds and the people that were following him back then. That's what we see in today's reading. Mark chapter 8, verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now, for those who have been around church and listening regularly to preaching of the Bible, uh, this event is one that is very familiar to us. Jesus' miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Of course, the danger is that you and I could be so familiar with this passage that we might just miss out on why Jesus did what he did. Because he had compassion. Furthermore, Jesus' compassion here is not just some random once-off response that he had upon seeing huge crowds. Okay? It's not like uh, you walk along the streets, uh, let's say, you know, in the good old days when we could visit other countries, you walk along some of those uh, streets of those cities and you see the beggars down there and, and immediately you feel a sense of compassion. It's not, it's not a random once-off kind of response. But in another very similar event recorded also for us in Mark's Gospel, Jesus shows the same response there. So in Mark 6, 30-44, the passage that we read together for our responsive reading, we read of an earlier very similar 
feeding incident, the feeding of the 5,000. And there, Jesus' response was similarly marked by compassion. Meaning, as our Lord sees the crowds on both occasions, his steady response to the crowd has always been that of compassion. So allow me to read a portion from Mark 6.30 onwards. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and thought. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. In both passages, Mark 6 and Mark 8, Jesus' response to the crowds was the same. He had compassion on them. Now, the Greek root word is the same on both occasions. It's the same word that is used there. It's the word splachnizomai, which means the meaning of being so moved in one's inward parts that you feel pity or sympathy. And here you can see why this word has got something to do with one's inward parts, because it is closely related to the word splachnon, or in the plural, splachna, which literally means one's guts, one's entrails, one's bowels. So can you see even the way we pronounce that this Greek word has got that guttural sound, it comes from the guts. See, in the ancient world, it was not uncommon for inner body parts to serve as reference for psychological aspects or to be the seat of the emotions. Okay? It's just like in today's language, my heart is so moved with compassion and mercy. Love and forgiveness wells up from my heart. Huh? Yeah. And here's a, yeah, one of the things that uh, my, 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 my daughter has been doing uh, yeah, recently uh, due to the recommendation of, my, of her older sister is uh, she has started watching some Korean drama series. Huh? And uh, straight away, for those of you that are fans out there, you know once you start, it's very hard to stop. Huh? And one of those that she was watching was Dr. John, and I was just sitting there with her, um, listening into the conversation, and then, and then I was just watching that, that part where, where Dr. John, he's this doctor who can neither feel hot nor cold. He's got a, he's got a disease, so he can't feel um, uh, uh, hot or cold. And then he was saying to the other female doctor, who was obviously his love interest, and, and he had that line that said, you know, in a world where I neither feel hot nor cold, yeah, you have brought warmth to my heart. So is that right? Bringing warmth to one's heart. So you, you're, you're allowing your internal organs to display your emotions and your feelings. So that actually didn't, that, that usage of such language didn't come from Korean series, okay? It actually came from the Greek, yeah, the Bible. So in other words, Jesus' main response in both incidents of the feeding of the crowds was compassion. And when we look at the two incidents and see who the crowds consisted of and the situation that Jesus was acting in, we see further that Jesus shows himself to be the compassionate saviour of all. Now, before we look into that further, I think we might need to address a question that might be on some of our minds. And that is, 
how do we know that it really was two separate feeding incidents in history and not just one? In fact, the view of the majority of contemporary scholarship on Mark's gospel is that the scholars believe that there was likely only one feeding incident. And they take the second feeding incident, Mark 8, 1 to 10, as a doublet of the first feeding incident in 630 to 44. And here, doublets are defined as two versions of the same event that in the history of transmission came to be treated as two separate events. And this doublet came about, these scholars say, because either this single story developed into two in what they call the pre-Markan tradition, okay, before Mark, huh, the tradition there, or Mark, the writer himself, duplicated the story in order to suit the purpose of his gospel writing. Now, taking the side of minority scholarship, I want to say that we don't have to take either option. The first option seems to be ruled out on the basis that there are differences in both feeding incidents. And these differences, they really run counter to the normal pattern of oral transmission, which, could have been the, which was the main way of transmission before Mark, the writer, committed all of the oral tradition that he heard into writing. You see, in oral transmission, as stories are passed down via word of mouth, very often the central features tend to stay the same, while the peripherals differ, the details, uh, they differ, okay? It's just like the game that we play as, as children, the broken telephone game, you know that game? Everybody lines up in a row and then one whispers into the ear of the other. Of course, the message will be distorted, yeah? But you notice the central features will remain the same. It is just the details that get um, distorted a bit, okay? Um, but in the feeding miracles here, we see the opposite. The central features that are emphasized, the number of people who are fed, the portions of bread and fish that were used, the number of baskets left over, they are different. Which means that this could point to the actual presence of a second event. Okay? And as for the second option, uh, that means Mark, the gospel writer himself, duplicated the story. Okay? Um, that doesn't seem, Mark doesn't seem to employ other doublets in his writing of the gospel. It's not his style, you could say. Furthermore, Mark deliberately highlights the fact that Jesus himself explicitly refers to the two distinct feeding miracles later in Mark chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. Meaning, <clears throat> there were two separate feeding events. That's why Jesus referred to the two occasions and Mark, was merely recording the events faithfully as they were. Yeah? So while the explanation that this was really one event recorded as two separate events remains, and it's still quite an option that's popular among scholars, biblical scholars, I want to say that we are not compelled to take this view. We are just as justified in maintaining that there were two actual separate feeding incidents. And in fact, the point that there were two separate feeding miracles stands out all the more when we look closely at the context or the situation behind each feeding miracle. Okay? With the first feeding incident recorded for us in Mark 6, 30-44, it follows immediately from the account of King Herod's feast that led to the beheading of John the Baptist, if you remember the passage there. Now, straight away, even as I say this, one can already see the contrast the proud, sham king Herod mocks justice 
by executing a prophet of God over a foolish oath that he made. And in this way, he displays his narcissistic tendencies and his complete failure to care for his people. While the true shepherd king of Israel, the Lord Jesus, he shows real compassion for the people by teaching them, by attending to their needs. The way that the feeding incident is told to us in Mark 6 also leads us as readers to reflect on three pivotal Old Testament passages. First, it reminds us of the Old Testament prophet, <clears throat> Elisha, who fed 100 of God's men with 20 barley loaves and some grain. So this incident is recorded for us in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. In fact, one could say that here in Mark, we see the true prophet of God in a way that Elisha only served as a foreshadow. Here is the true prophet who feeds the people of God not only with physical bread, the way that Elisha did, but he feeds the people of God with the word of God in all its truth, as we see Jesus doing here in Mark 6.34, where he taught them, right? Second Old Testament passage, the fact that we are told that this area was a desolate place, okay? The Greek word is eremos, which could also be translated desert or wilderness. Straight away, when I mention desert or wilderness, what do you think that points you back to? For those of us that are familiar, we just finished a series of Exodus, right? It points us back to God's miraculous feeding of the Israelites with manna in the desert, yeah? And third, the third passage, the way that the people were told to sit down in Mark chapter 6, verse 39, let me read that out for us. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups. <clears throat> in the original Greek, a very unique Greek word is used. It's the word symposia, symposia, okay? Where a symposium was a group of people gathered for a banquet or drinking party. So much so that a literal translation of Mark 6.39 could be something like this. Jesus ordered the people to recline at the table in groups divided like how they would do at dinner parties. <clears throat> Rendered this way, such language reminds us of the messianic banquet mentioned in Old Testament passages like Isaiah 25, 6-8, Isaiah 65, 13-14, where there... God promises to personally feed and shepherd his people. Altogether, from this feeding incident in Mark 6, we are meant to see Jesus as the compassionate new Moses who shepherds God's people in the wilderness, leading them in a new exodus deliverance that brings them into the fullness of God's messianic banquet prepared for his people. With the second feeding incident in Mark 8, 1 to 10, I think we see very similar ideas and themes. The mention of the place being desolate in Mark 8, 4 reminds us of God's miraculous feeding of his people in the wilderness. In Mark 8, 6, the word used to describe the crowd sitting down is very similar to that used back in Mark 6. It suggests ideas of reclining to feast at the table, hence highlighting once again the theme of the messianic banquet. And this idea of the banquet is further reinforced by Mark 8, 8, 
the people ate and were satisfied. Connoting the idea of God's people being satisfied by the food and drink that God alone offers on this holy mountain in the book of Isaiah. You know, it's an interesting phrase, the people ate and were satisfied. Have you ever tried catering uh, a food event for masses of people? I think our closest experience to that as a church was pre-COVID, where we used to hold Christmas Day service at the uh, ACSI uh, auditorium, huh? and we have about maybe a thousand people at one point in time uh, gathered there, and then normally after the service, we have a meal for them. Huh? And normally we try our best to cater to the meals, but you realize that Truth be told, it's quite a hard phrase to say, right? That the ARPC people ate and were satisfied because it's just very hard to to cater for a thousand people. But here, Jesus fed them and the people ate and were satisfied. And straight away, that brings us to, to passages of the Messianic banquet where God feeds his people the heavenly feast and they all ate and were satisfied. So many similarities between Mark 6 and Mark 8. But there is one key difference. And the key difference lies in the audience who receives this miraculous feeding in Mark 8. The location of the miracle in Decapolis and the two earlier episodes that uh, concern Gentiles. Jesus encountering the great faith of the Syrophoenician woman and the healing of the deaf man. Now they all lead us to conclude that here in Mark 8, there is a very distinct Gentile flavor to this whole feeding miracle as compared to the previous feeding miracle which had a more Jewish flavor. Now, this could be suggested, further suggested by the number of baskets of bread and fish left over. Okay? In Mark 6, there were 12 baskets left over in the first incident. In Mark 8, 7 baskets left over. 12 that possibly could represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Seven could possibly represent the 70 Gentile nations in Genesis 10, or even the seven commandments in the Noahic covenant, okay? Which shows you it's more out to the, all the nations. Now, this is just a possibility suggested by some scholars uh, who look at the numbers. Um, personally, I wouldn't die at a stake for this claim. But all of this does add up to contribute to a very Gentile setting of the second feeding miracle. So the first feeding miracle in Mark 6, more of a Jewish flavor. Second feeding miracle in Mark 8, more of a Gentile flavor. And when you combine them together, I hope we don't miss out on the significant point. Jesus sees the predominantly Jewish crowd in Mark 6. And what does he feel for them? Compassion. Deep, genuine compassion that arises from the guts, so to speak. And then when Jesus sees the predominantly Gentile crowd in Mark 8, what does he feel for them? The same compassion. In Mark 6, what did Jesus proceed to do for them? He taught them, he fed them the word, and also fed them bread and fish in such a way that would have pointed them back to God's feeding of his people with manna in the wilderness. At the same time, point them forward to the Messianic banquet that God has prepared for his people. Same thing in Mark 8. God feeds the Gentile crowd in a way very similar to how he fed the Jewish crowd in Mark 6, pointing them back to God's feeding in the wilderness and forward to the Messianic banquet. All in all, 
Mark 6 and Mark 8, when you put them together, they tell, in these two feeding incidents, they show Jesus to be the compassionate saviour for all. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether you and I are back in first century Greco-Roman times, or whether we are here in the modern 21st century, hit hard by pandemic, Jesus is the only one who can meet our true needs with a compassion that none other can provide. A compassion that eventually leads to Jesus feeding of us, not only with loaves of bread and fish, but with the giving of his very own body broken for us. <clears throat> As Singapore, along with the rest of the world, we are approaching two years since the discovery of the COVID-19 virus. And after two years, we are still uncertain about what the future will be, right? Every effort to move towards opening up is met with a new bump at every turn. <laughs> you can see that, right? So if you remember earlier, before uh, VTL, the, the, the terminology VTL was employed, what was the older terminology anybody knows? Travel bubble, correct, yes. And then every time we tried to have a travel bubble, it didn't work so much so that I think the authority said, let's change the name, <laughs> let's change it to VTL. Yeah, can we see that? And the Minister Ong Ye Kong himself recently put it, he said this, right? The COVID-19 situation in Singapore can be compared to a game of snakes and ladders with the Omicron variant determining if the country remains on track to living with the virus. Yeah? Snakes and ladders, I like the way he put it. Yeah. And can I ask, at this time when the world, Singaporeans and many of us, our congregational members, have been living our lives facing uncertainty, anxiety, stress of isolation, and a whole host of mental wellness issues. What more is needed in our Christian ministry and service than compassion? At a time when many in our country are upset and frustrated and tempted to direct their frustration towards particular racial groups, what more is needed in our Christian witness and living than compassion? At a time when many of our neighbours have it much worse than us, what more is needed in our Christian unity and solidarity with the global church than compassion? But truth be told, compassion is not always easy. Speaking from my own personal weakness and failures, there are many things that chip away at the sense of compassion that I should be having. It could be a sense of professionalism in our Christian ministry, where we are so used to doing what we do that we feel clinically detached from what we are doing. This is just another sermon to prepare, a Bible study to lead, a meeting to convene, a couple to counsel. Professionalism is a real threat to us having compassion in our ministry. If not professionalism, then maybe tiredness. We are so tired doing what we do that we really can't feel any compassion for those we are ministering to anymore. Or if not, then discouragement and possibly disillusionment. Church politics, infighting, seeing different leaders use ministry to accumulate power and status for themselves, 
These things are and can be a real disappointment and discouragement to many of us. So in order to cope with all this church politics going around with all this, we become indifferent. And the minute we become indifferent, we lose compassion. Mark 6 and Mark 8, the two feeding incidents, reminds us, reminds me above all, that our Lord is the compassionate Saviour for all. And if Christmas is a time to remember the coming of God to us, then it is a time to remember that this compassionate God has come to us as our compassionate Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus was never too professional, never too tired, <clears throat> never too discouraged to be compassionate. But instead, as the theologian Karl Barth used to say, as God's creaturely, earthly, human correspondence, as the royal man himself, Jesus is the work and the revelation of the compassion of God. A compassion that drives him to go beyond the feeding incidents recorded here in Mark 6 and Mark 8 to one where he eventually says, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Indeed, may our good Lord feel, or perhaps for some of us, renew the hearts of his servants with compassion, that we might minister and serve others out of their overflow of their compassion, pointing them and others in turn to the one compassionate Saviour for all. Please join me in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you and in true honesty, we cry out that we need compassion. Some of us may be in a state of our lives and a season of our lives where we find that we need compassion, where we are either too tired, uh, either too discouraged, or perhaps uh, either have become too professional to offer that compassion to others. And we are just going about our lives and our ministry uh, with this sense of indifference. Lord, we pray that if we understand, we ask that you fill us again with the compassion that the Lord Jesus himself showed and that the Lord Jesus himself had. We pray that in this way, that as we show compassion um, to others around us, as we ourselves receive compassion from you and show that compassion to others, may we do so in a way that doesn't compromise on your love your truth, but instead uh, to, to do it in such a way that the only the Lord Jesus did it and showed it in his life, uh, that truly that, 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 that compassion might point uh, ourselves and all of us uh, back to the reason why we have Christmas, and that is truly the compassion of God himself has come to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.